Hey folks, I am incredibly excited about this episode. This is uh, Jerome Rand. Jerome has been on the show two other times. The second time was in person, and this time is the second one we've done in person. Third time total being on the show, and it was a pleasure. As you can see, the show went you know almost two hours. Super easy to talk to Jerome. I mean, it, it, you couldn't see me in this interview, but I was completely riveted with the storytelling. I was on the edge of my seat. I'm just, if I can find a way to do more in-person interviews, I'm going to, you know, I I know half our guests are in other countries or just halfway around the world half the time. So it's impossible. But if there's any way I can, I'm going to figure it out because it is such a special experience to be able to sit down with the guest and just hear those stories firsthand. You're just, you're locked in. So I hope you enjoy this episode. This is such a great way to uh, be able to start the year off. Uh, We've got some amazing episodes coming out. So we're really trying to hit 2023 hard. And Jerome is a Hall of Fame ASP guest. And, And funny story, I think I told this already. When I played his episode, one of his previous episodes revisited a couple weeks ago, I got a call from Jerome like two days later. And he was telling me, he's like, hey, man, I, you know, I, I'm going to be in the area, in your area. I'd love to sit down again. I was like, cool, man. You must have seen I recently replayed your episode like two days ago. He said, no, not at all. So after, you know, a year and a half of not talking to him, knowing he had done other trips, other sailing trips, uh, and then just thinking about him putting up his episode, he calls me two days later. You talk about, you know, meant to be coincidence. Um, but the reason he was, you know, last minute came around this area to talk and was here it was because something essentially went wrong on his sailing uh, experience he just got done with. And uh, this is that story. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And holy cow, strap in, be ready. And for the next two hours, enjoy. Um, but also, if you want to follow anything Jerome does, he's, he's famous on TikTok. He's got a great YouTube channel. You've got to see some of this stuff. So I've linked a lot of that in the show notes check it out because visualizing what he's going through in his boat, Mighty Sparrow, and all the adventure, it's makes a, I mean, just helps you see what was actually happening. And, and, you know, Google some of this stuff, you know, as far as like the Gulf Stream, um, some of these areas we're talking about, Google it because that, that helps me understand just how crazy some of this stuff is. And if you want to hear anything else from Jerome, he has a podcast, like I said, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all that. Everything is Sailing Into Oblivion and a book, Sailing Into Oblivion. Check all that out and let's jump in. I've already hit record just in case you say anything profound before (laughs) we start, but you're a friend of the show, Jerome Rand. I really don't know the details of what we're about to talk about or like what actually happened. So I'm excited to to hear like what happened. You look great, man. You got you, you, you got the beard. Yeah, you, you got, got the your beard. beard. Yeah. Mine's an adventure beard, which uh, yeah. you know, I I've I've always been a fan of since the AT, but uh I don't know. Usually they only last a couple of weeks when I'm on land before I start feeling how, like so, father time. So how long have you been on land? Uh, I arrived back in port in South Carolina on the 9th of December and I had, I had departed Maine, uh, November 14th, which is pretty late. Yeah. November 14th. Yeah. So you were out there for three weeks. 25 days, I think total. I, I, yeah, I think so. So what were you trying to, to do? 
Uh, well, essentially, uh, and this is kind of the, the ironic part, I suppose, this voyage was supposed to be kind of a personal, uh, not at a goal, but just a personal experience of I wanted to go out finally for a long distance solo passage without the terrors of places like Cape Horn, the Northwest Passage. Things like that, Southern Ocean almost as a whole. Um, I wanted to just go and circumnavigate down into the South Atlantic, come back up, uh, and basically form a big figure eight in the North and South Atlantic. So mostly trade wind sailing. I was looking to be able to just enjoy my time out there without sort of the worry of, of these dangerous places. And I wanted to cite, you know, there's like eight, eight island chains that are out there, real far off places, especially in the South Atlantic. And I just wanted to go cruise. I wanted to read books, cook good food, uh, fish, and, and not be in a hurry because there's no storm season down there. Um, really, I was just looking to just enjoy a little bit of easy sailing. And and yeah, it absolutely did not happen. Well, before before we jump into that, I want to know because last time we talked, you had a misadventure trying to figure out the poles. Yeah, go around yeah. Uh, the Northwest Passage, right? And go around the North Pole, and then come back down and do that around Antarctica. Yeah, the that, so that was the twenty twenty trip. Yeah, and Which, COVID and all fog, that, yeah, all. icebergs, all that, and you had just some crazy stuff. Now, I, I what what was really cool about that talk was how much prep went into that. Yeah, you were talking about like the fuel and uh, that, water and food and how much it took. Was this? I assume this this most recent trip a lot less of that. Yeah, I I well, Mighty Sparrow is at a point now where. Things like the solar panels had to be replaced. Some of the equipment had to be updated just because you you spend enough time out at sea and the sea eventually will pick apart anything. And so I had I had thrown a bit of my savings and stuff into it. I'd worked all summer in the boatyard in Maine and done a lot of updates, but not not to the extent of the voyages before uh, as far as the prep work goes. Because, again, this was... This was a trip that I was estimating between four and five months, mostly easy sailing. You know, I didn't need brand new sails for it or anything like that. It was it was like, yeah, we've got pretty much everything. Update a few things here and there and stock me full of food. And there we go. I'm just going to go out and have have a nice casual, casual sail out on the ocean and <laughs> on the Atlantic. You know, it, it, it is partly my own fault. Uh, actually, it's all my own fault. Um because I waited so long to take off, but you know, I wanted to help and make sure we closed the boatyard down uh, for the season and, and all that. And the weather windows seem to keep closing out on me. You know, we had that storm, uh, Nicole that hit you guys down here a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. Mostly the East coast. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we, we over here on, in the Tampa Bay area did okay. Right, Ian right. was the one that Ian was the um, one that came right. Yeah. To like, a month, like a month before that. So yeah, yeah two, yeah, two yeah. big storms and, Right at late season. Right. Real and late season. Typically, you know, my goal was to set off uh, November 1st, but with, I think Noah had already been sort of investigating Nicole, and I just thought to myself, okay, well, last year I took off and I went right through the eye of Tropical Storm Wanda, 
which formed way out in the middle. You know, nobody even really knew about it except yeah. for me because I was right there. Uh, and I just thought to myself, if I head out now and try and dodge this thing and get, you know, whipped up in like a real category one hurricane or something like that, then everybody's going to be looking at me like, who is this idiot? And, you know, I, I didn't, I also didn't want to just have to go out and tango with that. Cause as soon as, as soon as a storm gets named, I've always pictured it as like this lumbering gorilla that's out in the ocean that is essentially hunting for any boat that's stupid enough to be out there. And so I was sort of like, you know what, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to be patient. I thought I was doing the right thing. And uh, by just just holding off and that it it took a long time for Nicole's winds to finally reach all the way up to Maine and then pass out uh, into the ocean. And then a little bit of an opportunity opened up that didn't look too bad. And essentially, uh, I woke up on the 14th. Uh, The boat was already in the water. It had been in the water for about a week and there were icicles that had formed on my mainsail and i was like oh my gosh i have got to go like it's it's time like i, I gotta get out of here and uh yeah i mean i knew i was gonna face some rough stuff for the first probably four or five days of the trip but then actually it looked pretty decent the weather window looked like it was opening up and what and what are you looking for because obviously hurricanes that's a season Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, that's typically over by the first of November. Yeah. Um, you know, they say November, remember, because you can actually still get them in November. Nicole was in November. Yeah. Yeah. So much. it's one of those things I'm watching the weather. I, I use a, a site when I'm on land called Windy, which is just it gives a great, um, great display of what the weather systems are doing, because essentially you get these. You get these weather patterns kind of coming off of Canada. They sweep down into the states, and then typically they're heading offshore because everything in our area is moving from the west to the east out into the Atlantic. And so these systems sort of form, and as they push off, they run into the Gulf Stream around Cape Hatteras, which is hot water, lots of energy, and then they explode and head off to the northeast, turning into essentially – uh, a, a lighter version of kind of a hurricane. We call them low pressure systems. And depending on the ferocity of them, uh, some of them turn into, I think meteorologists call them bombs. Because, like winter bombs yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a lot more, I mean, a low pressure system doesn't sound like something you need like to avoid. It's yeah. low a bomb, <laughs> a bomb, on the other bomb. hand, it's a little bit like, whoa. And these things, <laughs> the thing about a bomb is they develop very quickly. So Interesting. You know, I knew I was going to, on day three, have to deal with a very small localized low-pressure system in the Gulf of Maine. And I knew, you know, watching watching these forecasts, I can look. I trust them three to four days out. Anything after that, all bets are off. And these these forecasting places, they'll, they'll show you the models for almost 10 days. But... It really, you can't count on that sort of stuff. And in my experience, three three to four days is pretty reliable. Um, but with these things, they can change because for whatever reason, if they decide to take off and, and really develop, they can do so very quickly, especially in the area from Cape Hatteras north to you know the Gulf of Maine. And so I'm watching these and I'm watching them all of October. I'm watching, you know, because you see these patterns and typically it's, You'll get one system that rolls on out, 
And then you have a couple of days before the next one comes. And if you time it just right, essentially what you're trying to do is take off on the tail edge of one of these systems. So you're getting westerly winds and you just race out there as fast as you can and get away from this sort of area. Typically, if you can get far enough out in the Atlantic or to the southeast, then you're sort of getting to a point where you're always going to be sort of underneath these systems. And eventually you run into the trade winds, which are coming off of Africa, going from the east to the west. And then you're 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 in you're good and you're good all the way down to the equator, go through the doldrums, get into the southeast trades in the southern hemisphere. And it's the same thing. And then you don't really run into much rough stuff until you get all the way down to the Southern Ocean. And so my, you know, my plan again was just to just barely touch the Southern Ocean, you know, give it a little high five and get right back out of there. <laughs> just but to I, say you did it. Just to, you know, uh, there's there's a really remote island called Tristan de Cunha. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's right down there. It's It's one of the most isolated communities in the world. I think only... 200 people live there and i don't even know if i would actually be able to stop there or not they only have one little break wall but it's i like mean, a volcano yeah and it is in the middle i mean right in between you know cape horn and the cape of good hope in the south atlantic looks beautiful yeah Holy doesn't cow. it so is that about how far south you would want to that go? was going to be my southern waypoint so track down there that see if i could there, yeah somehow right in between Africa and South, South yeah. America. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It really is one of the most remote communities on the planet. And I just, you know, there's sort of an old saying that if you if you really want to try and get into a place and you don't have the permits for it or whatever, um, you can always sort of fake it a little. Be like, you know, I'm having engine trouble. Luckily, on my boat, I'm almost always having some engine <laughs> trouble. Luckily, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Luckily. They'll usually <laughs> let you come in. Uh, but... More than anything, I just wanted to cite the island. You know, when mm -hmm. I pass by, there's just really, and I think we had talked about this before, but there is something so majestic. I think that's the only word to describe where you are sailing on an empty horizon and then the tiny little peak of an island comes up. And for the next day or two, because I'm a slow boat, I get to watch this island rise out of the sea and then it becomes real clear you get within you know a mile of it and you have this beautiful backdrop and then you just watch it sort of recede over the next day and there's something about that that i think is do you stop uh i have in the past um and sometimes i just pass right by you know it, it's it's kind of do you not feel the need especially that far out i assume you haven't seen anybody for a while do you oh, not, do I do feel, you not the, feel the, the desire to stop and talk with people or to stand on land? Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of a desire to get, you know, get in there and explore it a little bit. Um, but also, I know that in some ways that can disrupt the flow that I've sort of created by being out there for a while. And, and for me, one of the big attractions to the sort of long distance solo sailing has always been getting into that sort of low-level input mental state, um, you know, getting into the right sort of sleep patterns. And when you disrupt it, then you got to basically start all over again. And for me, it really has been, it's an enjoyable experience. I know for most people, it, it sounds like a total nightmare, uh, which is understandable. It really is. But when, when you get into it after, you know, it might take, 
three weeks to really get your brain dialed in. There's been times where I can sit in that cockpit and stare out at the, the sea and the sky and almost have not a single thought go through my head for hours. And it's, it's this amazing feeling. Uh, and I don't feel like I'm wasting time or anything like that. I, it's, it's hard. I'm still trying to um, really capture the essence of, of sort of that, that uh, brain wavelength that I, I eventually get into. But I'm working on it. I'm trying to describe it better and better so people can understand. Of course, never experience anything on that level. But my experience mostly is either backpacking or bikepacking. Yeah. And what what and you hear this a lot from a lot of adventures. What gets so what gets so addicting about the lifestyle is the simplicity and how much it feels how right it feels. Like it almost feels like instinctual. You get into that survival mindset. Do I have food? Do I have water? Do I have shelter? And once once those big boxes are checked, every you're just good. Like yeah, it's yeah. You're not thinking about tons of other stuff. You might, you know, allow your your thoughts to say, okay, what's next or whatnot. But you're really, I think that's why people who long distance, I mean, you've done the AT, the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. It's got to be, from what I know about that, it, it it's similar. Like you're, you're just, it's survival. You feel animalistic. Your primal self comes out and you, uh, we just don't get that chance in normal life a lot. And I'm sure that level of deprivation is... You can't, you can't social deprivation, yeah. social and stimulate. You just, the you, can't, you can't recreate that. No, no. And it, you know, it, it becomes this, I've, I've definitely talked about it becoming sort of a emotional roller coaster in a lot of ways. And really that's not brought on by, I guess in, in normal everyday life, it's brought on by the things that happen as you go through your normal day and, you know, phone calls or problems at work or relationships, all these things, you know, when you're dealing with mother nature and that's it, you know, your, your ups and downs come from, is it raining? Is it lightning storm all around me? Or is it absolutely stunning and the temperature's perfect? Are the stars brighter than you've ever seen them? Those bring you up to these crazy highs. And then, you know, you do get your lows, but I've always been a firm believer that those highs are exceptionally good when you've had to go through some serious lows to get there. And that was a big part of this trip. Uh, I really had to keep that mindset, especially in the first, you know, 10 to 15 days when it was really pretty ugly and miserable and cold and scary. I just had to keep reminding myself, like, when I finally get there, when it finally calms down, it is going to be unbelievably great. It's going to be not only just a relief, but the whole world around me is just going to, it's going to be beautiful and I can't wait. And so, you know, that, that always, that mindset, it's hard, you know, you do have to work at it to sort of really dive into it. But after all the experiences I've had out there, uh, for me, it's become sort of just second nature uh, to be able to do that. But yeah, I I didn't need it to be that good <laughs> this time <laughs> uh, that I had to go through quite so much uh, discomfort yeah. and and such. But. So yeah, I, I'm sure you were like, okay, it's going to be that much sweeter once you get through this first part. And you what what you were doing was trying to get ahead of basically the winter. Yeah, the winter yeah. was coming. You're starting in Maine, which is 
you know, way up there, 40, way up there, 40 something degrees north. Yeah. So. Serious winter. And so you're trying to get south mm-hmm. towards the equator where it's pretty nice all year round. And even south of that by a long shot where it's summer. Yeah. Um, what in all this happening is, are those winter bombs, those whatever they're called, you know, polar bombs or whatever yeah. that you're talking about. What, what happened? Like what well, went wrong? So essentially, you know, the, the first low pressure system, we deal with that one. Uh, it's uncomfortable, but it's not and How too long bad. do they last? Like a couple of days or? The, the first one lasted about 36 <laughs> hours or so. Okay. Um, and it was, it was kind of interesting because, so the first part of it, the wind's coming out of the wrong direction because these, these systems, the wind sort of is in a bit of a circle and I'm hove to, which means I'm sort of parked. You know, I have a little tiny bit of sail up. I'm in the middle of the Gulf of Maine. It's miserable. It's raining. It's windy. The waves are building up, but we're just maintaining. I'm waiting for the wind to shift, the center of the low to pass. And then all of a sudden the winds are going to come out of the west and I can just rip and ride them out. And there was one point where there was some sort of, I don't know if it was a search and rescue plane, um, but an aircraft came over and circled around like three times. And I, they never called on the VHF or anything like that. Um, but I assume they were looking for someone in distress. And I just, it, it sort of hit me at that point. I was like, boy, it is kind of rough out here. <laughs> like, I wonder what these, these guys are thinking up there, you know? Like, look at that guy. I mean, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't bad by any means. It wasn't anything we hadn't dealt with and, and such. Uh, I just, you know, it was sort of the waiting game. Yeah, um, so like, it, but it kind of made it real, thinking like, oh, they're actually being proactive about rescues. Yeah. So they're taking it like, that serious. Because hmm. there's probably other people that, yeah, I mean, out here it's like when the police or the fire department starts driving around your neighborhood on the PA system yeah. and saying evacuate for hurricanes. Right. That's like, that's when it hits you. It's like, oh, my gosh. Okay, sure, this, like, is, okay, this no is real. Joke. This yeah, is real. Yeah, Not exactly. a drill. So, uh and, and what kind of temperatures did you say you're dealing with? That was cold. Uh, up there in the Gulf of Maine, it was in the 40s. Yeah, uh, maybe but you're wet, water everywhere. Wet, and it's it's damp down below. You know, you're getting condensation on everything from your breath, and everything's locked up, so all the hatches are closed and everything, so it's it gets real clammy. Yeah. But, you know, the Gulf Stream was only a few hundred miles south of, you know, the Gulf of Maine and George's Bank, all that stuff. So it wasn't. It was only going to be a couple of days before the temps were going to be in the 70s. I mean, it's yeah. it's an amazing amount of hot water that's coming up. Um, and yeah, essentially get through that first one, and then sort of, I don't know, like a little extra bonus a day or two later, another little sort of thing whips up, and we get through that. But that propelled us right down to the Gulf Stream, and and at this point, I had been out four days or so. And I see the forecast that's coming up, and it doesn't look that bad. It's another system. I'm on the southern edge of it, so I'm going to be seeing mostly just westerly winds. Um, The real bad parts of it are going to be well north, but I'm also entering the area of the Gulf Stream. And Where where are you near? I am essentially almost halfway in between the tip of Cape Cod and the island of Bermuda. Okay. The distance there is probably about 800 miles, uh, and I'm right smack dab in the middle of it. I'm looking at a map, by the way. Oh, okay. I'm not ignoring you. No, oh, no worries. I'm just, no I'm all, usually I have my computer up with these conversations, Yeah, when I, yeah. When, and I'm just like Googling stuff constantly, because right, right. then I get more questions, and like 
Well, I always so thought curious. if you know if I if I ever go and do uh, interviews or whatever about the the first trip uh, around the world, probably the best thing for me to do is bring a blow up globe. <laughs> yeah, so oh, dude, yeah. You know, let's visualize, especially this. especially if it's video. Oh my yeah, gosh, yeah, 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 just show that that would be then so. Then you handy. can sort of see the whole thing, and then that, that's that. I mean, that's just mind blowing when you see it on a globe. Yeah, like yeah, around yeah. This and you, little... you get a real sense of the scale. Uh, so halfway between Cape Cod and Bermuda, you're you're like right off the coast of like Virginia, North Carolina, but I mean hundreds of miles out, if not a thousand out. miles out. Yeah, yeah, but directly east of there. Right, right. Wow. And essentially, you know, I'm in a position where, okay, I got the Gulf Stream coming up. There's another system coming off the coast, and it's not a good place to be in. If I, if I sort of hang tight where I'm at, I'm going to see worse weather, but I won't be in the Gulf Stream. If I continue on and try and get beyond the Gulf Stream, so cross it, it's going to be a little bit tight. Um, and... Ideally, the goal is you don't want to be in the Gulf Stream in any sort of bad weather because there are not only is the mainstream flowing, which luckily it was flowing to the east, so it was going to be going with the wind. Uh, there are eddies, big hundred mile wide, you know, circulating eddies of current that are north and south of the stream. And those can be just as bad as the actual stream as far as their strength. And essentially like you know think of it this way if if the wind is coming from the west going to the east and it all of a sudden encounters even just a 50 mile patch of water that's going the opposite direction at say two knots so just over two miles an hour it can all of a sudden disturb the surface of the ocean uh, in such an incredible way i mean it, you wouldn't think it's going to be all that bad but it literally it's almost like the, the surface of the water starts to vibrate. Um, it's really strange. I've seen it in small scale uh, up the coast of uh, Brazil. So once you cross the equator, heading back towards the Caribbean, there's a lot of strange rip currents down there. And it, it wouldn't be blowing more than 10 knots. So it's beautiful. There's a little ocean swell. And then suddenly it's like it, it sounds like termites almost. And it's this weird clacking noise, and you get up and you look around, and and it's it's just it's like the surface is vibrating, and all these waves are sort of going all in weird directions, and they're slapping each other, and then all of a sudden it stops, and you've you've just run through this tiny little rip current that's going against that wind, and I always remember thinking to myself, boy, I wonder what it'd be like to see that in like bad weather, you know, and. And that's why places like the Gulf Stream and places like the Agulhas Current in South America are so dangerous because they're positioned right at this spot where you get the nor'easters coming off the coast of the U.S. hitting the Gulf Stream, and that, that's wind against current. And then also down in South Africa, you get these big low-pressure systems coming off of Antarctica coming up, and they smash into the Agulhas coming down. And those are, you know, those are waves that can take down ships, no problem. Um, what a, what a, I mean, from their size, yeah, like that from, vibrating can grow to major it can grow, waves. Yeah, the 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 wave heights will will grow very very rapidly, and then you also have very little space in between the waves. But the real danger, what what takes down boats, is 
what's breaking off the top and tumbling down in front of the wave. Yeah. And normally, out in seas, even when you're in gale conditions, the waves, if there's no current, you know, the swell might build up to even like 50 feet, right? But these are big rolling hillsides. And typically, if they break up top, they break, but the breaking kind of falls down the back of the wave. Because mm-hmm. it's a big enough mass. Yeah. It's like there's nowhere for the break to go. It just kind of right. it's on it, itself. It's on itself. It sort of breaks. And then, yeah, it sort of disappears. And, you know, every once in a while, you're going to get an unlucky hit for sure. Because sometimes waves converge. And one wave or two waves will sort of come together and make one giant one, which is where you get like the, the rogue waves and things like that. But you add that current in, and then all of a sudden, those waves are sort of, you know, they're they're building, but they're going against the water coming at it, which causes them, I think, and I'm not a scientist. I'm just yeah. experienced. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, you get this big breaking cap on these waves, just just like uh, when they crash on the shore almost. Yeah, because it, the, the last wave is going back in. Right. There's land there that it's working against, so... That has to have something to do with it. Yeah, well, and then, you know, you can you can throw in other factors um, in certain areas where it, it gets really shallow, and that mm. makes a wave what is really shallow? steep. Yeah. What is shallow in your well, the, perspective? Well, the one spot where it gets really dicey off the, the East Coast is George's Bank. So off of Cape Cod, size of Massachusetts, this big, big bank that's in the water and it it gets down there's stories about you know fishermen being out there and walking around on the bank at like extreme low tides uh, in certain areas but essentially you know it it can get down to 20 30 60 feet and if you have a big swell rolling in i mean that's that's immediately going to be breaking you know people could surf on that sort of thing yeah Uh, so it's offshore is that uh george's is probably I want to say only maybe like 60 to 100 miles off of Cape Cod. I'd have to look at a chart yeah. uh, to really tell you. But it's 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 a huge area. It's a, it's one of the most fertile fishing grounds in the world because it's so shallow. that, uh-huh. And it's it's got this mix of the Gulf Stream coming up and the Labrador current bringing all the nutrients down. It's really just this, this perfect little place, which is why it's been, um, you know, a fishing ground for 400 years. I mean, they... I was talking to my buddy up in Maine, and he was saying, you know why they call it George's Bank? And I was like, yeah, they named it after King George. He said, no, 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 it's George's Bank because they made so much money off of all the fish that they were taking. And it was true. I mean, they they used to say, uh, I think there's a quote in The Perfect Storm where they say, um, what do they say? That there were so many cod that it would slow ships down, which obviously is a bit of a fabrication, but yeah. So, so, but, so yeah, I'm sorry, I'm going off. No, the this weeds is awesome. A little bit. No, yeah. this is great. This is great. <laughs> so, where were you with the storm and what was happening there? All okay. right. So, so the the current and the waves are working against each other. The wind and the current. Well, and that's yeah, that's sort of the what you're trying to avoid. And I I had the choice, you know, when I was north of all of the eddies and all of the Gulf Stream, but I decided I was like, you know what, I I'm pretty sure with the winds that we have. And the forecast that I have, I've got a couple of days. I'm going to be able to get south of the Gulf Stream. So I'm going to be pretty much in a better position when it came to the wind as far as how strong it was. Um, And then I'd just sort of be able to kind of ride it out. And then I'd be across the stream. And then I'm really 
in a much better position in the Atlantic as a whole for anything else that comes off. Because there is there was this sort of looming sense of the sooner I get to the southeast, the better. Because if a real serious system comes off, like what they just experienced up there in the past few days. I mean, Rockland saw 70 knot winds uh, coming out through the Gulf of Maine. I, you know, whew, that's the sort of stuff, you know, you're just hoping you survive. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, but in, in any event, um, so I made the choice. I, I was like, okay, the forecast looks good. I think I can do it. And with this trip, one of the cool changes that I had was instead of just downloading the wind on my computer through a sat phone, I was actually able to use a new program and a, a little like it's, it's like a satellite Wi-Fi spot called an Iridium Go. So I was able to download not only the wind, but I got the currents as well. So for the first time, I could see the Gulf Stream in real time out there. And I think in some ways that led to me making kind of a bad decision, sort of trusting it a little too much or thinking that, you know, I could worm my way through some of this stuff. Where in the past, I don't know if I would have made the decision to go through. I think I probably would have said, I'm going to hove two up here. I'm going to wait until this system goes through, and then I'm going to go down to the Gulf Stream. Because I wouldn't have known where any of the eddies are, where the actual stream is proper. And uh, when it's an unknown, you don't mess around with it. I mean, I've always known that you don't mess around with uh, the Gulf Stream. But just saying that out loud right now makes me wonder why I made the decision to go through with it. <laughs> Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Uh, Just uh, in the Gulf Stream, I mean, you tell me, is it like going six to ten knots different times? What is it like? Isn't it like five to ten miles wide? Like what? It's like a river within the ocean. Yeah, it, it all depends. Um Typically, it's really strong off the coast of Florida yep. and up by Cape Hatteras. It can be blowing, or um, it can be moving at four to five knots sometimes. Um, it's generally about a hundred miles wide or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then as it once once it gets to Cape Hatteras, it, it bends its way to the northeast. It starts heading out into the Atlantic, and that's where it typically starts forming all these eddies. And different little rip currents all around it, and all that sort of stuff. And I know here it's tight, right? Coming out of the Gulf, underneath Florida, it's narrower, a little faster. Yeah. So I know people. There's a group of crazy people that have been wanting to join for the last few years that paddleboard out to from the Bahamas, the Bahamas right, right. to Florida. Yeah, you, you still haven't done that trip, dude. No, oh. <laughs> I've done other stuff in the meantime, but, uh, <laughs> but no, that's a. Uh, I've always just thought it was insane how quick they go because they're going with the stream. Yeah. And they basically have to cross it at an angle. Yeah. Um, so it's they can cover eighty miles in on a paddleboard in twenty four hours. Or, well, or like twelve hours. They really have to start further south than the actual destination yes. because yeah. they're just gonna it's get like crossing swept. a river. Yeah. You gotta yeah. like start downstream or upstream, go straight across and it's gonna pull you downstream. Right, right. So um so anyway, you're you're you make this decision that you don't think you would have made because you had I more just I had a little more information and I I guess I was just a little overconfident in in what was going to happen and and 
you know, thinking back on it, I definitely didn't consider that, you know, being able to update that forecast so many times and so rapidly uh, as, as opposed to my computer back in the day, which was maybe every three days, I could do this like twice a day and check and see what updates were. And I was like, ah, you know, it's going to be blowing 30, gusting up higher, which is getting close to gale force, uh, but nothing more. And it wasn't going to be that long. And I thought, okay, well, this is going to work. It should be fine. And the problem was is that just in the, the day or so that it took to get to the Gulf Stream and then past it, one, the winds that I had in the forecast were a lot lighter, so I went slower. Uh, which which made it so I barely made it past the stream. Uh, the other thing was that the the weather system intensified. And it was just one of those things where I sort of trusted in the forecast a little more than I should have. I didn't, you know, add in the amount of change that could actually happen just in that short amount of time. And so I had made it past the the main part of the Gulf Stream. But there was some eddies around in the south, and there was there was one big one that was moving, I believe, in a counterclockwise circular pattern. And I sort of looked at it, and initially I was like, okay, well, I can hove to here, or I can rip off to the west right alongside the stream in an area where there's just a little bit of current that will be going with the wind, which sometimes can actually dampen the waves down. And... And then get off to these spots about 100 or so miles away in between these eddies and all this stuff where it seems to be a pretty reasonable place to then duck out of the stream and then head off to the southeast. And by that point, you know, this system should have passed anyway. And so I, I had my game plan in mind and I knew I had sort of set my waypoints like, OK, if I make it here or here, that's going to be a great place. Jive the boat and then I'm out of here. Perfect. And so the winds kicked up, and I remember that morning, it was like four in the morning. The winds had died. I was just drifting, trying to just get a little bit of sleep because one of the, the greatest tips that uh, John Kretschmer, who is one of the best uh, sailing American sailing captains in the world, like he's just unbelievable, heavy weather guy. He's, he's crazy. He wrote, he's also a great author. But uh, in any event, one of his biggest things of advice was, you've got heavy weather coming try and get some sleep beforehand beforehand yeah and it you know it's not easily done because you're pretty nervous and all that trying to prep yeah and yeah. You're, you're just like i mean head of the hurricane i was a i mean i, I felt like i didn't sleep for sleep for yeah, two days right. i was prepping the whole house i mean it would have been all for not if it would have hit us but yeah it i it, that would be really hard Very having hard. just gone through a preparation ahead of a storm on land i'm sure there it's it's you're thinking like what am i forgetting what can i get ready right now that's tough. And That's there's, tough. there's nothing worse than that storm hitting, and now you have to be awake, and you haven't slept you have in no say, 24 hours. Yeah. Jeez. So I get a little bit of sleep, and the first squall came in, and just, it was massive. Woke me up. I get up, and I, I set the sails up, so I'm hove to, and I'm just sort of parked again. And, and what do you what do you do to prep? Uh, with that, you know, I'm going around the boat. I'm making sure everything's sort of locked, everything's stowed in its proper place. Um, this wasn't going to be an exceptional thing as far as the wind speeds and all that. So I wasn't too worried. I wasn't in Southern Ocean lockdown mode where like hatches are screwed down 
and things like that. I was pretty much in, I don't want to say casual mode because I knew I was still in a, a bad place, but everything that could move, I thought, was pretty much locked into place or lashed down. And big squalls come in and the, it was so crazy because the wind or the, the rain after the first squall, like once it stopped, there was still this, this crazy noise going on off in the distance. And it was a wall of wind that was about to hit. And I've experienced that once before in my life. But this is in, you know, it's still dark. It's four it's in the like morning. It's like that scene from Interstellar. Yeah, right. This way coming. It's just... <laughs> and I'm hearing this, and I'm. it's getting louder. What does it sound like? It's it's just, it sounds like you can hear breaking waves in the distance. Um, it's just that sort of white noise. And is that what they are? Uh, is that what the noise This was, is? yeah, essentially... You know, the wind was so strong and it was just coming in this wall. So as as the wind got over the sea, it was just causing everything to like break. And there were small waves. It was it was very calm before this. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah, I know. Calm before <laughs> the storm. But essentially we get uh, we get hit by that wall and I'm hove to and I'm hove to for probably two hours and it gets light. And my plan at that point still was just I'm going to park it here. And then I started just thinking to myself, you know, I've got to go east anyway. I'm actually in a good spot. I update the weather forecast. Everything looks okay. And I think to myself, yeah, let's rip. Let's go with this. We're going to get about 100, 130 miles throughout this day and into the night. And then we jive, and then we're out of here. And go, to, go with it. Go east, with it to the east. east. Yeah. You so, had just come west, right? You were just, were just were headed west? Uh, no, I, I was just basically parked from the from the previous few days i'm headed due south just trying to get to the stream and then across it and then away from the eddies and i it's it's hard to paint the picture of of what the stream looks like um just verbally and what i would always recommend to people is to go on windy.com which is the weather site and you can you can go onto the side column and you can click on currents and you look at the North Atlantic and it'll blow your mind how wow. much water is moving in all sorts of directions out there. Wow. Uh, but in any event, so I decide, you know what, we're, we're just going to go and rip and I'm going to go get a bunch of easting in, as they call it, uh, make my way out into the Atlantic and and then peel off. And, and the day just sort of went on and it was awesome. Uh, I had a teeny little bit of mainsail. I'm ripping downwind. We start with small waves that slowly start to build up a bit, and we're surfing waves. And to be honest, it was a blast. I spent more time on deck than I had in a long time in those sort of conditions just because it was we were just sailing fast, and it was fun. And, you know, it's still early on in the trip. Um, so it really was, it's the sort of stuff I like to tell you the truth. Um, and I'm looking, I'm looking at it right now, the, the gulfs. Yeah. It's unreal. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's unreal. It helps you visualize. Yeah, it. exactly. So it went well, it was going well. It's going well. Did you yeah. feel like you were maybe through it? Uh, I, well, I just, I was expecting another day of this one more mm -hmm. crazy night. And then I was going to be in happy land, you know, lighter winds starting to cook good food. I even made a comment on one of the videos where I, I was actually talking to myself that day and I was thinking about just how big of a breakfast burrito I was going to actually <laughs> make the next morning. 
Um, so I was just planning all this stuff out and it was getting a little more wild. Uh, now and again, a squall would come through and late in the day, one squall came through that was, that was pretty intense. Um, you know, it, it blew pretty hard for only the first like 10, 15 minutes, but it was, it was up there. It was like steady 35 knots which kind of feels like a bit of a punch in the face out there. And it was sort of like, okay, I may have to sort of change my sail plan a little bit, go from the mainsail to more of a storm jib sort of thing. But then it, it passed, and it left in its wake some, some bigger waves. Um, so we started getting a little more powered up, not out of control, but moving pretty fast, getting close to a time where I might have to make a few different decisions. And Essentially, that one of the decisions that I made, and I think everybody would be proud of me, was to put on my harness and tether in to the boat. What and, made you do that after what you went through? Uh, it just was, it just felt like it was the right sort of conditions for it. Plus, I was spending so much time on deck. Oh, right, right. Normally, right. I'd be down below. And is that a common thing to do? Clip in? Yeah. Yeah, very common. Okay. So I, I didn't know. For me, uh, I hadn't ever done it on the boat before, <laughs> which is very uncommon because when you get in heavy weather, you typically want to be sort of tethered in that way. If a big wave does come out of nowhere and hits you broadside or whatever, you don't get knocked overboard. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's all it's all done. It's all you fall over and that's it. The game is over. That boat is going to keep going. Yeah, it. Ha I mean, you can't stop. It's not remote no. controlled. It's, and it's it's gone fast. Uh, even if a boat's only moving at, at you know a relatively slow hull speed, like you six, can't, you can't catch it. Never. No, you can't in, catch it in five seconds. It's well out of your reach, and you're you're. Jeez, done. have you heard? I mean, I'm sure you've heard stories about stuff like that. Uh, well, there's you know the the scary thing is nobody lives to tell them. But what they do find is you know a race boat or you know a cruising boat sails up nobody's on it usually it's found months afterwards or whatever sails in tatters but those boats you know if the hatches are closed they could drift out there for years i believe it. it's crazy i Absolutely believe crazy it. and i know on our last conversation you had that brief moment where you almost thought what if i just jumped off what if i jump over oh, yeah, and that scared you half to death that definitely did that was mentally that was probably one of the scariest days i think i've ever had um you know, with as we get into what happened this night, there's so much action going on yeah. uh, when things break or, you know, you get you get knocked down. It's when there's no wind, there's no nothing. And you start your brain starts playing tricks on that. You. That conversation, it was a moment of it, it seemed like a, a time of just. Almost like you were out in the desert. Yeah. Wandering, but on the ocean, it was a really. Anyway, we'll link. Yeah, yeah listen to the two-part series that we talked about last <laughs> that time, was and, a one, and that yeah. last trip that, that <clears throat> was going to be insane that that didn't go to plan, but amazing stories. Holy cow! But all right, so you you harness in. So I'm harnessed in, and and I'm still I'm still enjoying it. It's a very uh, uh, visceral experience of like racing down these waves and squalls coming in. Um, and it's warm. That's the nice part. So south of the stream, now it's like 70 degrees. It's no longer 45. That makes it a way better experience. And day eventually turns into night. It's still blowing. It's blowing a little harder than it was forecast to. But, again, nothing too crazy. Now it's a pitch black night because it's overcast and it's raining. And that always adds to 
sort of the fear factor of things out there because you just can't see. You can't see any boats don't have headlights or anything like that. I had my nav lights on up top, which sort of illuminates a little bit. But for the most part, you've got headlamp on, but you're turning it off just so, you know, you can sort of see the hand in front of your face. And essentially, hours go by. Things are OK. We're moving really fast. We're almost to the point where I'm going to turn and head down away from the stream. All I had to do was jibe the boat, which is. You know, take the mainsail and swing it from one side to the other, change your course, and you're good. And I went down to just try and get a little bit of rest. I'd been on deck. I'm pretty tired, wind burnt sort of thing, sunburnt, all that stuff, because you even get sunburnt when it's cloudy. And I'm fully geared up, so all the wet weather gear is on, my headlamp's still on, life jacket is on, everything is there, and I'm just lying in sort of the secondary bunk down below. And... I think only 15 minutes went by before I heard the the rumble start and then just the boat lurched up and then the boat lurched all the way over and then it's it's it all happens very fast but this it kind of feels like it's in slow motion the next thing I remember is just being piled on top of by everything from books to cushions to food to a table, to a lee board, which is just a big plank of wood that I was using. Um, and I am completely buried, like completely. And I just try and push my hands up and try and kind of un... I'm clawing my way out of this big pile of stuff. And I walk along the side of the boat because we're still probably at 120 degrees angle. Um, as I'm trying to make my way to the companion way. And I know we've just done some serious damage. Like this knockdown was way worse uh, than any of the other ones that I've ever had down in the Southern Ocean. Or those, there was typically a breaking wave that hit us and the impact was like a bus or a car wreck. So it's like, bang, a huge noise. This was a rumble as if the wave started to break directly underneath Sparrow we got picked up and we tipped over and then rode the falls down and then and then hit the surface of the sea and i get up there and i'm just the first day i'm just like this is going to be bad and i'm thinking the mast is probably gone um and it just you know those few seconds of trying to get to the companionway which was all you know the hatchboards are all in it's all locked up we did get a lot of water through but not a ton and so water's not like in a movie rushing in. No, there's to where no you're holes. Like going yeah. down. The portholes didn't get shattered. One got very close. Uh, most of the salt water that was in the boat at that point came from the, the head, so the toilet, and the two sinks that are on the boat. Those just emptied right, right over everything. And then a good amount sprayed through the little gaps in the in the companionway. But other than that, it's you know. It's mostly uh, food and all this other stuff. But I, I get up there, and I'm scanning around. I first look. You're looking outside now. Yeah, headlamp on. And the I boat's look. still sideways. No, no. At this point, the boat has already come right back up. West sails are literally like picture a rubber duck in the water. I mean, they don't want to be upside down at all. There's so much weight in this keel, and the, the sort of canoe shape of a west sail just makes it so it just wants to come right back up and uh 
First look back, Mongo, my best friend, my life partner. <laughs> He's on the back of the boat. I'm talking about the wind vane. Okay. Ah, All right. All right. There's another like, person. Because you there. keep saying we. Yeah. I and know, I'm I like, know. it's you're talking about <laughs> Mighty Sparrow, your boat. Yeah. When but, I say uh, we, I'm always. I was making saying, sure you didn't have like a cat yeah, or something. No. <laughs> okay. Mongo, no. <laughs> uh, like Wilson. <laughs> so I'm looking back at the wind vane, which is steering the boat and has done that for me all around the world and it's still there so boom right turn around and i'm looking at the mast and it's still there the boom uh, the sail got all disheveled um and so it looked like the boom was bent but it was still there so then i flashed back and i realized that the big arch that holds all the solar panels and uh, that's gone and I'm sort of like, oh, my gosh. And then I look in the Dodger, which is the little canvas canopy that sort of protects you from, you know, splashing waves and rain and all that stuff. That's gone as well. I see it then. It's sort of hanging on by a thread over here. And then I look over and I see that the lifelines all along one side are gone. And and I'm sort of like, holy cow. So I hop up on deck because Mongo is now only half attached, essentially, as far as uh, steering the boat, because some of its equipment was actually on that big arch. And uh, I get up there, and again, I'm, I'm still fully kitted out, and I clip in, and I look, and I see that all this stuff is still dragging alongside the boat, because it's connected via the wiring for the solar, and then all these little lines that were tied off and things like that. And I grab it, and I try and pull it back up, and, I, you know, it's heavy. This is a bunch of inch and a quarter stainless steel. There's wood, and there's these big solar panels. And I took about two or three tries because if you can salvage these things, you want to, um, you know, rather than just cut them free. But it was one of those situations where the system and the weather is still raging around me, and we, we're already starting to sail again. Like Sparrow has done a great job of just – getting right back into the fight and you don't know if another wave like that is coming that's yeah that's sort of trickling through my head but at this point i'm sort of like okay triage like i gotta lose this thing because it's it's dragging right next to the rudder that is connected to mongo that sort of controls the steerage of the boat and the last thing i want is for this to do damage to that and then have to hand steer through the rest of the night this is all happening just before midnight and Essentially, for whatever reason, and this is where it gets a little weird, I never, I have this really sharp buck knife that was given to me by my uncle after the trip around the world, and it's got an engraving in it and all this stuff. I, I treat it like it's this prized possession, because it is, and it stays in a certain place in the boat. I never keep it in my pocket, because pockets on these jackets are always wet with salt water. It's just going to rust the thing like crazy. It was right there in my pocket. And so I'm able to just whip that thing out. And it's so sharp. It was like butter. Went through like five or six different lines, cut through the wires, and boom, we're free of that now. And we're in your brain, you're going through, okay, what else is on here? Yeah, yeah. And I, it, but there was nothing you could do. You don't have a winch or something. Uh, well, you, I probably could have come up with something, but I'm, I'm actually now, when I think back on it, when I've dissected it, I'm glad I did what I did because the chance of, of those solar panels doing more damage to something as I'm trying to pull them up or me possibly falling over something 
it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. And I was able to eventually, you know, make it back without them and all that sort of stuff. So I, I think that was kind of the correct decision. But again, you don't have a lot of time to think about these things at that moment. Um, so just cut those free. And then I re I lash a little tiny line on. So Mongo is steering the boat perfectly again, doing sort of a quick inspection. But I also have to then get down below and see if we're taking on water because I don't even know yet. And this is where the other coincidence comes from, which was really uh, quite beneficial, I think, for sharing the experience with people. In my other pocket was a GoPro. And so I get down below, and it's, yeah, as soon as I'm down below and I see just the chaos that is my cabin now, like everything's just turned upside down. It's all over the place. I whip that GoPro out and I start filming. And just little bursts, because I can't mess around. Uh, I'm not trying to make a documentary, but I thought, you know, this is pretty You're going to want to remember this. Yeah, exactly. Or you want someone to find it in case. <laughs> right, right, exactly. In case Sparrow comes up but and no again, one's on it. You know, it was just an odd thing because I never keep that stuff because, you know, there's salt water in those pockets. You just, yeah. I always have these places for these things. But in any event, um, so it's down below and I'm checking the bilges and I'm trying to make sure there's no water coming in, all the – portholes which are glass they're all good um i'm seeing little bits of damage but it's i'm sliding around in this place because all of the contents of the refrigerator have emptied so six dozen eggs have shot all over my entire cabin uh i would later find a couple jars of spaghetti that had smashed so there's glass um but it's you know it's cushions it's it tables cheese, it's everything stuck cheese. in places yeah, yeah, I yeah. Saw all that i got and through about was, half that video there was damage uh to the ceiling that i found just areas where things had impacted pretty pretty uh forcefully let's say and actually like dented some of this this wood and stuff on the ceiling and uh um, how about you how would how were you okay with all that stuff hitting you uh well that was kind of the odd thing i it, it all happened really fast um uh, but for the next like two weeks, my ear hurt something fierce. And there, there's a couple of clips where it kind of looks like I have uh, a black eye where I, I definitely have a ring around it. So I, I think I probably got impacted, but I, you know, this is one of the those adrenaline. Oh, the adrenaline just immediate. takes it right over. Yeah. You don't feel a thing. And when I think back on it, that's probably one of the luckiest things besides the fact that I was down below and not on deck uh, to be there when that happened. But to have that much stuff fall on me from that sort of height and that velocity. I mean, I, I found a spare alternator had somehow gone from being totally buried in, in this really tiny compartment on the high side all the way underneath where my head was in made its way into another cabinet, uh, which is still just shocking. I mean, it must've tumbled over and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm just sort of, I want to make sure we're not sinking. Um, one of the weird things I did have the, is a water bladder that probably had about 40 gallons of water in it. It's heavy. It had broken free from its mounts and it was sloshing around. It hadn't popped or anything, but that's when all of a sudden the thought of, okay, uh, what if another wave comes and hits us? What if that's not the only one? I don't want a 40 gallon thing of water sloshing around on this boat so i drag that over to where the bilge is yeah slice it open dump it in there um there was already probably 20 or 30 gallons of water in in the bilge um well probably not that much i shouldn't say that 
Um, there was probably a good 10 to 15 gallons. That and your bilge there. wouldn't have a problem pumping that out. No, no. Well, and I, the, but I had to, as soon as I, before I dumped that water in, I want to make sure I get the sequence right, dumped that water in, and I think I was about to go and turn the bilge pump on, and that hit my brain, and I was like, batteries. Rather than go in and look and try and inspect the batteries where you have to take this big hatch off and stuff, because they're just lashed in there, um, I'm just like, okay, no, turn the battery switch off. So main breaker is off, so there's no electricity flowing, because the last thing you want is some wires to be shorting out or, or a fuel leak. There's a million things that could slowly be going wrong. You know, you got 50 pounds of propane on that boat. You know, there's there's a lot of things. I'm not thinking of all these. All I'm thinking is, yeah, turn the battery off because I have a manual pump that I can just go and do by hand. Okay, I was going to ask. Fill yeah. up the bills and then you can right. still pump it out. So I had to get back on deck and pump that out really fast um, because – with a bunch of water sloshing around in the bilge, you can't actually tell if there's more water coming in that easily. Okay. okay. So the idea for me um, was, okay, pump it all out, and then I'll keep an eye on the bilge, and, and we'll get a good idea if anything else is coming in. Luckily, because it's a west sail, super strong, there wasn't any other areas where water was coming in. So it had all come through the sinks in the head and through the hatchway with the initial wave, and that was pretty much it. And, and then at that point, now it's sort of like, okay, what do I do? It's midnight. It's dark. It's still blowing out there. Um, no electricity. No electricity. And I'm just in this position. And I, that's when I start really thinking like, boy, uh, is it going to get real bad? Are we going to start seeing big monster waves like that? consistently and uh luckily you know we we didn't really it wasn't like one after another after another like the sea state just had erupted um so we were lucky that it was sort of just one big random wave at that time and i found my position using sort of the the, the little tablet that i was using and found that i was very close to the area where uh, I could at least go and jive and start getting away from the Gulf Stream. And what that allowed me to do, because this wave came directly out of the north, I was headed, because it, it basically picked us up broadside. Uh, I'm headed still with the stream. I'm going to the east. Yeah, and I'm thinking, okay, well, if this came from the north, hit me on the side. Uh, if I head to the southeast at least, Another big wave is going to hit us more astern, which Sparrow can handle quite a bit more like that. You know, they say that for a breaking wave to capsize a sailboat or a boat, uh, it just has to be half as tall as the boat is long. So it doesn't really have to be a monster wave to be able to do what it did, but if it has to be breaking. Right there. It has, there. To, be it has to be the right. Yeah. Oh, jeez. So... so get that get my position find that i'm in a good spot go up on deck again and i jibe the boat over so again the mainsail comes over and now we're headed more in a direction that i feel confident we could take another hit because we'd take it more from the stern or the back of the boat and now it's sort of like okay it's 12 30 uh it's not gonna be light for four or five more hours and I just had to occupy my mind at that point. And so I started doing, you know, 20 minutes down below, cleaning, organizing this, that, um, trying to put things back together. And then I'd come up on deck and I'd sort of hang out up there a little bit, not 
not actually physically sitting on deck in the cockpit, but half of my torso out the companionway hatch so that if all of a sudden, you know, a monster breaker is approaching, I can like scurry down below and close it, you know, so <laughs> it's not waterproof, but it, it no, but production. it'll, it'll break the, the initial, you know, huge Rush. amount of water. Oh, so, no. uh, cause I'm, I'm pretty on edge, uh, about getting hit by another one. It was, it was definitely a little traumatizing. And as the adrenaline sort of wore off, the fear kind of crept up a little more, I guess. And, yeah, I was trying to just eat away the hours. I mean, I, I've never looked at my watch more in my life wow. where I was just like, oh, I'll be like another 10 minutes. We did it. All right. Was it that watch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I've had this it. watch forever, <laughs> and it really, like, I'm just looking at it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay, another 10. And it'd be like 3 in the morning, and I'm like, all right, 3 in the morning. Woo! And I'd go down, and i clean more and all sorts of stuff. Were you hungry? Or anything? Was no, it just no, not no. no, nothing like that? Just wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Couldn't read, couldn't do anything. Just yeah, I was just going from cleaning to up on sort of. Were you making progress? Cleaning? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, it by the time we got to first light, we were pretty close to almost back together. Um, at least the food had been put back in the fridge. Um, you know, all that stuff is still off. And because I, I didn't want to run any power without like real thorough checks and stuff. And yeah, essentially um, we're almost pretty well back together. And Anything clean. ruined? Like as far as your books and uh, oh, yeah. everything was pretty I lost, much gone. Well, and I lost some treasured books too. Ones that people had given me that I was really looking forward to reading on this trip. Uh, but they're covered in egg yolk and spaghetti sauce and salt water and they have to go. So I'm, I bundled up. I probably had about four garbage bags worth of stuff that uh, just completely saturated and ruined. Because, you, you know, you just can't dry that stuff out when it's covered with, with that. So in any event, uh, you know, first light comes, and now I actually get a view of, of what I'm sailing in. Because you, you sort of do get a little bit of a sense of the size of the waves at night, uh, but not really. Not like when you see them. And... They weren't crazy big by any means. We were probably in the 15-foot range as a normal height, and then you get sets that are a little bit bigger, maybe touching the 20-foot range, but mostly swell, definitely with some breakers on them, but nothing crazy. And I, I think I make a comment in one of the videos where I'm like, these waves are big, but they're not like knock your boat down big. And um essentially i'm i'm watching where i'm on the position with the gulf stream and it looks like i'm in a good spot the forecast is 24 hours old for the gulf stream footage um but i don't want to open up the pelican case with all the electronics and stuff i'm just like you know what let's just run it out we're just gonna get away it wasn't that far to get completely clear of all this stuff and uh, the winds are still blowing in the 25 to 30 foot or 30 um, knot range. So it's still pretty breezy. But then about an hour or so later is when things got like very, very dangerous. And so this, I this ain't over. Yeah, I wasn't expecting this at all. I thought, OK, first, like we're looking pretty good. Yeah, these waves are big. They're intimidating. But we're we're getting away from it the winds are supposed to be calming down my first concern actually was that i don't want the wind to slow down too much because i want to keep moving quickly i want to get away yeah and yeah like about an hour or so after after light 
I see the first of these sets come in and the swell is big. The swells well over 20 feet, uh, or at least in the 20 foot range as, as each wave is about 20 feet. But on top of it is this big, huge breaker that then curls forward and runs down the face of the swell for like 10 or 15 seconds. And I, the, just the noise of it alone, even as you know, quarter mile away i can hear it and it just goes on and i'm looking and it's just a set so there'll be like four or five of these and then it's sort of back to normal and i'm looking around i'm like whoa that was crazy and then 10 15 minutes later another set comes in and it's the same and i'm like holy cow and these things are just, I mean, the, the breaking part of these waves are as big, if not bigger, than Mighty Sparrow. And I'm thinking to myself, if we get a direct hit by one of those, that could be like full-on 360-degree roll, lose the mast, uh, real trouble. And they're coming, and you're going due south. I'm going due south, yeah, perfectly away from all of this stuff. And they're coming from where? They're coming from the northeast and the northwest, and there's two different directions. And the amazing thing, and I'll never forget, it's just this one image of this one wave. It's coming down, and it breaks, but then the one comes from the other angle and breaks on top of the breaking part of that one. And I'm just looking at it like, what? <laughs> Nothing could – and it, it reminded me of this picture in um, – there's these – classic heavy weather sailing books um i think that's what they're called heavy weather sailing and they have a few shots of just very irregular random waves and some of the captions are it's impossible to think that any boat of any size would be able to handle a hit from a wave like this and that's what i'm seeing and it's in these sets and there's a little break in between but i'm just like whoa this is this is different and i i know what's going on at this point i realized that i am i am in a counter current big time and these waves were probably generated the swell at least you know in another counter current further away somewhere and that i hadn't even considered i was like if as long as i'm not in an eddy myself then i should be okay well if there's eddies all around you these waves are still being created and eventually they're going to find their way to you and that i think was one of the biggest mistakes or oversights that i i really had in this whole situation um yeah essentially and i knew at that point i was like it is a roll of the dice whether or not we make it through with our mast or make it through this at all all right so so if if and so you can i mean these are within sight like you can see oh yeah so within i don't know mile or two i don't know when you got that brought up to the top of the wave you could see for miles and then you'd be down below and you see one wave the next one coming and the wind is even blanketed so we were for one of the first times kind of struggling with that where you get down below and all of a sudden there's no power in the sail and then as you get picked up all of a sudden you feel the brunt of the the wind again and it, it again it wasn't blowing like yeah. yeah but ideally when you're dealing with these situations, you want the boat to keep moving so that, you know, if it starts breaking behind you, you sort of skitter off in front of it. Some people would say that's probably not a great idea. And it's all up to the person in the boat. Um, you know, I, I sort of listened to an old time sailor called Bernard Motissier, 
who learned through experience that with his boat, if he was trailing things behind him to slow his boat down in really heavy weather situations, it made the ride very bad um, and dangerous. And when he cut him away during this one crazy gale, all of a sudden he unleashed his boat and now his boat could just take off and skitter away from these breaking waves. And it was like the biggest lesson he's ever learned in his life out there. And so I've adopted sort of that same ideal. Um, With a name like, like that, sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He's like literally the Captain Nemo. <laughs> Bernard Motissier is just, he's a legend among legends as far as solo sailing goes. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything totally. about him. Absolutely. We've had some legends on the show. Lynn, <laughs> Lynn Party. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. She's, she's a legend. Yeah, sure. we've had her on the show. Um the greats, but, man. The greats, the greats yeah. yeah. You, you. Um, well, so if if one of these waves, I mean, hits you, your mass breaks, what is, what do you do? What do you do in a sailboat? Mass breaks, no electricity. Maybe your batteries don't work. You don't know yet. Right. What do you do? Well, luckily, I have never had to deal with this, okay. so it's only theory. Okay. But essentially, from from what I'm told and what I've read, if you lose your mast off of a boat so it's still going to be connected via all the wiring and everything that's holding that mast up if if it's actually still connected and close enough to the hull where it's banging into the hull you need to get rid of that mast as fast as possible or if you can get it back on deck i've heard both situations but it has to be done very quickly because i mean it's it, like a telephone pole isn't it i mean oh it's, yeah it's, it's a big you're old not gonna aluminum pick it up. thing yeah i mean there are i've heard stories about people salvaging stuff uh huge things usually it's with like a full crew of people so solo sailor you're gonna want to try and get rid of that thing or at least get it into a position where it's far enough away from the boat um but that's where you know you're either cutting the wires or you're pulling the pins because the last thing you want is that mast to get picked up by a wave, punch a hole in your boat, and now you're sinking. So that's that's A number one, first thing. But you have to consider that once you lose that mast and you're not sailing anymore, you are just a bobber out there. And these waves are still coming. That's the thing is there's never a pause button to the surrounding weather you're in. And so all this stuff has to be done on a boat that might be pitching 30 or 40 degrees on either direction you know, constantly. And so, you know, to think that you might be able to just go around and like hammer out all the pins and let it go, it's going to be clawing your way around uh, on a ferry or, you know, a Ferris, uh, like a fair, fairground ride, you know, I mean, it'd just be insane. Um, so yeah, at, at this point for, again, one of the first times in my life, I grabbed the emergency grab bag, which has my EPIRB. Um, it has some supplies in it, things like that. And I put that at the base of the companionway stairs. Uh, there's also like a, a couple of gallons of water. And then the life raft is already in the cockpit. It's lashed down and I have my knife so I can undo that. So I'm just sort of getting ready. And I, I've never done that before. I, I guess I've never either had the forethought to do it or I've just never been in conditions that were that intimidating where I thought, wow, it's it's just going to take one of these big, big, big waves and it could all be over. So now I'm just there and I'm done everything I can do. I thought about hopping on the tiller and trying to sail the boat myself. Mighty Sparrow's many things, but fast is not one of them. 
and these waves are moving fast and there's just no way that I'm going to be able to anticipate uh, a wave better than Mongo would uh, to actually try and avoid it. Like these things, you know, you get a big swell that comes up. Maybe it doesn't quite break. And then you worry about what's right behind it. Uh, Cause sometimes they sort of work off of each other and then the next one will break. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to let Mongo do his thing. It's already a roll of the dice. If we make it through, let's just sort of see what happens. And I'm just going to be ready. I figured it would be better if we did get just absolutely nailed again for me to be able to close the companion way and hide down below, let everything happen out there, whatever. And then I can pop back up rather than me being on the tiller, trying to like manhandle the way through it, which isn't going to do anything. Um, but essentially I was in that situation for about three hours and the sets kept rolling in and then it would it's calm daylight. down. It's daylight. It's getting close to, probably around 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning when finally the last of these sets came through and it calmed down. And, and like before, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's the end. Because I do know as soon as we get out of this current, it's going to like the waves are going to change their shape almost immediately. And they do. The last set rolled through and I no longer ever saw one of these giant breakers. Like that was it. They were gone. And I, you know, I'm sitting there and I wouldn't even say it out loud. I was sort of like, I shouldn't even think that I'm out of it because if uh, I think it, it'll know, you know, yeah. your mind's playing tricks. I had slept yeah, a long totally. time. They jinx it. And yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, then, you know, as the day went on it, it, um, sort of the winds ease up and the swell start to ease a little bit and just the world becomes kind of normal again. And I'm sort of left you know, looking at this cockpit that's missing all this stuff. There's a lot of damage. I'm trying to sort of process it, but I'm also exhausted. The adrenaline is completely gone out of my system. Um, you know, I still have to think of like, okay, I want to try and get the engine to run. Uh, there's a few tasks that I want to do once things have calmed down just enough. Uh, but mostly I'm sort of like, I, I just need to sleep. I need to get like an hour at least to just sort of let my brain just pause for a little bit. Yeah. Did you feel, I mean, because you hadn't slept at that point since, well, you slept got, that few minutes. Got a few minutes, yeah. Yeah, when it, when that first wave hit, 15 minutes or yeah. so. And then probably, probably up for since like four in the morning the day before. So probably, you know, 30 hours or something. Yeah. Pretty stressful. Stressful, stressful. <laughs> stressful 30 hours. <laughs> Uh, usually staying up through the night is but uh yeah that's 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 a different level man oh my lord let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible that is plenty of that for now let's get back into the episode so that wave that hit you didn't seem like you were in one of those sets where there were tons of those no not that so I that was tell. just one of the few that broke and just happened to hit you at the wrong spot. Uh, yeah, all I can really surmise, and and a lot of this was from looking at the actual damage because uh, typically in a knockdown and in the past, when I was hit by a big breaking wave on the side, the damage was done on that side. So it would rip the spray skirt off or the dodger would get damaged, and it's on the side that the wave hits. This, all the damage was done 
on the opposite side that the wave hit. So, which is what sort of leads me to it and the noise, the lack of an actual impact and more of just the big grunt makes me sort of assume that we were like picked up, tipped over, and then basically pushed over the falls. And it was when we actually impacted the surface of the sea at the base of the wave. And that's, yeah, that's where it damaged everything. And so it was like a big impact. And again, I, you know, having a west sail such a thoroughly overbuilt boat it was probably the only thing that that really made it so we could we could handle an impact like that i i gotten a lot of emails and comments from people uh that are like you imagine if you were not in a west sail if you were in some you know production boat or something like that and i i don't even want to think about it so they're kind of the the tough oh yeah gritty they're the tank they like they a, were like built- a jeep yeah you know just for certain applications it's what you need it's what you yeah and it it, they were built with the intention of you know you can sail this boat anywhere in the world you want and you're going to be pretty darn safe much safer than you know a boat just built for sort of cruising or or something like that and every boat has its different function but that's why you know west sail is not a fast boat because it's 20 something thousand pounds of fiberglass and lead and all that and you know, it's it's a beast, but it's I gotta give it to it. You know, it's it's fifty years old. Almost. I guess it's forty nine. And to be able to sort of still take a beating like that, you know, I'm almost that old now. <laughs> and I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> yeah, man, from the sixties. Yeah, that's uh, just about no seventies, yeah. early seventies. So so uh holy cow, man. So, so y- you, what what after that it calmed down i assume you got a little sleep uh i was able to yeah and it was and, kind and of funny what? that so i i i get a little bit of sleep late in the afternoon was it quality uh no not really i mean <laughs> i I, I was a little shaken up for sure you were. but i had i'd had a scotch pretty strong one to help with that i contacted my family which was definitely important and uh and, we, and it was hard too it was emotional um just to text you know I'm sort of thinking of them on the other end, uh, but were they aware of anything happening in the morning? So I normally shoot a text off to them at eight in the morning, uh, just to my mom, real quick. Just hey, how's it going? It's all good. And I knew if I didn't do that, I was gonna sort of catch a little hell. So she'd be worried. And so I ended up, I texted her very quickly, and I said, "Hey, I'll update you later. It's raining." I was like, okay, yeah, it's raining. Nobody wants to be outside. Da, da, da. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm in this just chaos. And good, I think maybe good on I'm, you, though. Maybe I'm <laughs> good on you. Keep well, going. yeah. I mean, I I've had enough experiences out there where I'm really scared, and I tone it way down uh, when I when I update the parents, and because you know I don't want them to worry. Uh, as worried as I am, you got to try and protect them. I put them through enough just by doing <laughs> yeah. this over and over again. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I get a couple hours of sleep, but I'm woken up very abruptly because I don't have a lee board, which is used to just, it's, it's like, uh, you have a lee board when you have bunk beds on the top bunk. So you can't fall out of the bed, right? Just a board. And I didn't have that anymore. It broke. And I was, I thought pretty well pinned in there and a wave hit us just a little one, but it rocked us enough. And it threw me right out of the bunk, straight onto the hardwood floor. Boom! Hit my elbow. I'm just like, almost knocked the wind out of me. 
And I'm sort of like, oh, insult to injury. Oh, my God. What the heck? <laughs> um, and then I sort of went about, did a few little checks here and there, and then I was able to get a bit more sleep. But, um, yeah, I mean, after that, that was day eight or nine of this trip. And I thought, okay, I'm missing solar. I'm missing communications with ships. Let's go to the nearest place and we'll, we'll get some, some parts and things like that. At least make it so, so I'm safe. And, uh, and Bermuda was that. It was only about 300 and something miles away. And, you know, two, two possibly three days. And um, the weather initially looked good for that. And so I set a course for Bermuda and it all looked like clockwork. I, I talked to my, my friend Mike and he was going to call ahead actually. As I got closer to make sure they knew, you know, sort of an injured vessel was coming in. And then I get a text message from uh, another friend of mine, Scott, down in South Carolina, who follows these trips. He loves them. He's living vicariously. Yeah, yeah. And I love it that he does because (laughs) he he's helped me on quite a few trips now. And he's like, hey. Just FYI, download the weather. It's changing and it's deepening and it's going to get further south. And I'm like, oh, so there's another system that I, you know, again, I was like, I'll be able to make it into Bermuda. It'll be close, but I think I'll do it. So he lets me know the next day, check it because it's changing. And I look at that and I'm just like, oh, no way. I can't do it. The center of the low had moved closer to Bermuda. So essentially... If I kept going towards Bermuda and didn't make it even by, say, 20 miles, I'd be in like 40 to 50 knot winds, almost double what I was just in. Luckily, there wouldn't be any current, but still, I did not want to deal with, you know, force, force nine gale, like severe gale conditions. And so I made the decision, you know, I'm just going to run south, try and get to the edge of the next low pressure system and just get away from the worst of it and then i'll figure out i was like maybe i'll go to the caribbean maybe i'll go back to the states i don't know i just need to get away from this one were you comfortable navigating with the tools you did have at this point oh yeah yeah. what were you missing that was crucial like you said communication with boats could you see what was around you uh you could see but like physically see physically you you could see it yeah but see on a screen yeah so on on the boat basically the ais the automatic identification system communicates with other ships and they communicate their position back to you so you just you know you have alarms that go off if there's a a ship that looks like it's going to be a close pass and it's essential for a solo sailor to have this i mean just to be able to sleep more than cat nap you know 10 15 minutes and so i'd lost the aerial for that off of uh off of the back and um, the VHF had a version of this where it could receive the position of other ships, but I couldn't send out my position because I didn't have a GPS aerial that I could hook to it. And so inevitably that it made it so I couldn't set any alarms and I couldn't, uh, you know, if I went to sleep, the thought was in my head of like a ship could be just on the horizon plowing its way right at me at 20 miles an hour and, I've got 15 minutes left, you know, that sort of thing. That's how, it's how long it takes to go from the horizon to your position when you're going that fast. And that thought and that thinking is almost impossible for me to shake. Um, I don't know why. I mean, when I'm out in the forest on the AT, you start thinking about bears, you can sort of shake it out of your head and be like, don't even think about it. 
this was just different. I, I, I really had trouble every time I laid my head down to try and get some sleep. Uh, it started to become worse and worse where I was just like, Oh man, we're going to get run down. We're going to get run down. So in any event, yeah, those were the, the two sort of crucial systems that and the solar panels. What do you, I mean, that, that's terrifying to it's think. It's scary, yeah. And, and not only, it is a busier shipping area, right? Or no? Up there, it wasn't too bad. And so I, I was able to get, you know, half an hour here, an hour there um, when I was up in that area. And it really came into play more towards the end as I was approaching the East Coast. Because you, the area I'm headed towards is basically in between Charleston, Savannah, and Jacksonville which are three major shipping ports. I mean, when I went through Savannah or off the coast of Savannah, there were 27 ships, you know, between like 700 and a thousand feet long sitting out there uh, anchored waiting to go in. I mean, it's just, it's insane. And you just got to navigate it all beside. And it, you know, I grew up and, and trained in the beginning without AIS for it. And that was okay. But solo sailing, it's difficult because, you know, stretches like that, you just sometimes you have to be up for a day or so. You told me about that on the first time we talked was how crazy certain people thought you were on your first solo sail around the world mm -hmm. to sleep as long as you do. Yeah. And you were like, well, I check AIS. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I believe it, in AIS. Yeah, you believe in it. <laughs> and I mean, the chances of you hitting something are like astronomical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is pretty low. The outside of the shipping lanes and things like that, um, it's it's pretty low. The idea of like running into a container that's floating there, uh, I've never seen one in all the years. Knock which which would I mean? Because they float, they can't. They can, yeah. The the newer ones that are sealed really well, like the refrigeration ones or whatever. Um, I forget which ones. How, what the scenario is that can make those things not take on water for a long time. Uh, but, yeah. And that would totally ruin you. Oh, probably. I don't yeah. know. You know, it would be yeah. interesting. It's, maybe you it push would it down on how Sparrow yeah. hit it. If Sparrow did a direct hit and it was just submerged, um, you know, the, the stem of a boat is the the front apex, the angle, you know, going down. That's the strongest part of a boat. And Sparrow is a really strong boat. We could probably peel open a container. Really? Maybe. You I don't know. So? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't ever want to find out. You don't want to find no, out. But, no. like, anything <laughs> weaker than that, you should be okay. Uh, like, a, like a wooden Yeah, I've, I've definitely hit stuff out there, hit objects, found scratches in the boat, you know. Um, what do you hit out? What have you hit out there? Well, there, unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of old buoys. There's a lot of plastic everything. Um, it's pretty rare to see big, big stuff. Um, just like mostly just floating trash. Mostly floating trash, yeah, individual. little bits and bobs. But, I, yeah, I mean, sometimes you go – I remember getting a, a whole fishing net wrapped up on the on the very tip front of the boat on the bob's day, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to, like, get in the water to get that thing off? And I slowed the boat down basically to a stop, and it fell off. But, mm. yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, I sometimes you come across a huge tree trunk or almost a whole tree. You know, floating across yeah, from Africa flows. or whatever. And what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? Mm, weirdest thing, probably. I saw a tanker. Uh, it was in the middle of the night, and it had it. 
It had the two two red lights on it. Nothing else. You told me this. Yeah. Um, just basically. Like an abandoned. A, it seemed like an abandoned tanker. No engines, no generators, no exhaust. Floating out there um, a few hundred miles off the coast of Brazil. No lights, except for the not under command lights. So I don't know. Maybe there was like one guy on there and he was just asleep. But just Jeez. drifting. Yeah, yeah. I got within a mile of that one. That was weird. That was the ghost. Where would ship. that go? I can only assume they were just in a, a pattern where they weren't able to get in a port for a couple of days, and they just decided to drift out there. I don't know if it's that unusual hmm. for that sort of stuff to happen. So there were possi- possibly people. On it, yeah, on I would it. think so. Just waiting, reserve, you know. Maybe not. I mean, you know, it might energy. have been one of those things where they they're like, you know what, just let it drift there for a while, and Banning I doubt it. it. But there's been weirder things. I'm yeah, sure. right. Wow, man. So, so, uh, <laughs> all right. So now you decide to go to a port on the east coast. Did you get that? Yeah, point? I. So essentially, um, you know, Bermuda's a no go. I scream south, have some of the best sailing I've had on the trip. We're going fast. I'm pushing the boat because I really want to get away from, you know, the calmer weather, the better at that point. I just needed a break. And I we ended up getting hit by the edge of the system. And it was pretty wild, but it wasn't anything like what we went through before as far as the waves because it just we didn't have the current. It was wild. It was fun. Um, I had some pretty good video of that, too. But um Get through that one, and then I'm like, okay, maybe I'll go back to Bermuda. Still only a couple hundred miles away. Now I'm sort of southeast of it. And then a cold front comes down that's reaching almost across the whole Atlantic. It's blowing 30 to 35 for two days, um, and that makes it so I can't go to Bermuda because <laughs> I, I got to go north, and now it's coming down. So I'm thinking, okay, let's just use these winds, and we'll, we'll try and rip back to the States. Go through that one. That one was pretty ugly and unnecessarily um, uh, unnecessary. Unne- it was just unnecessary. I didn't need a fifth weather <laughs> system. Uh, I was already headed back in. I had already raised the white flag. You yeah. know, the ocean one, um, uh. <laughs> which it always does. We all have to come back into port sometime. But in any event, um, yeah, I tried for – I wanted to get back just to anywhere on the East Coast and – um went through that system luckily it pushed me through and then once that fifth one was over you know this is now day 18 or 19 and the winds died like i went from 60 to zero you know not actual 60 but you know i mean uh where it's just like nothing and now i'm floating out there and just you know i get a five knot breeze and throw every bit of stale sail i have up just try and work it as hard as I could. Then I start seeing all the shipping, so I really can't sleep. The shipping got just incredibly heavy, and uh, I put up a radar reflector in the rigging, and every once in a while I'd get them on the radio, but um, you know there were a few that avoided me noticeably, so I was like, okay, at least the radar reflector seems to be working because um, I'm sure these ships have those alarms not only for the AIS, but for radar proximity and all that stuff, or or somebody just up there paying attention. Yeah, and because um, there's not much you can do, you well, personally. And, and I, you know, me, I can, you know, as like in the middle of the night when I see the lights come up, I can tell which direction this boat is going just from its lights. 
And you also have a hand bearing compass. So you look at it, you take its heading uh, or its bearing from you. And then five minutes later, you check it again. If it's the same, it's, it's on pretty much a collision course. If it's not, then you know it's going to pass by one way or the see, other. See, yeah. If it is on that collision course, then you, you can deviate your course uh, to try and Even go. Even with it, no wind. You have well, engines, right? I do have an engine, yeah. So I'm, I'm having to really keep an eye on the, the fuel that I have because I need to charge the batteries every other day. Excuse me, just so I can keep the VHF on and keep the lights on. How much fuel do you have? Not much. Uh, I left with about fifty gallons. Okay, and that's usually enough to. For me, I, you know, with the solar panels, I almost never run the engine. I'll yeah. run it like every two weeks, just for half an hour, just, just to like lubricate everything. Yeah. you know, move yeah. the oil around and then shut it right down because the solar that I had charged everything kept me topped up. That's and, awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was it was. You know, great setup. When I went around the world, I had 65 gallons of fuel and I made it 20, I think 24,000 miles with that. <laughs> How much did you have when you got back? <laughs> oh, zero. I ran out <laughs> oh, of the South ran. Atlantic. Yeah, I, oh, okay. I didn't plan that one out okay. very well. So um, <laughs> you didn't make it. You just, no, no. You no. did make it. I did make uh, it, but not with any fuel. Um, but yeah, essentially, it was just working working every light little breeze I could. It was stunningly beautiful um, to be on a flat sea again and yeah. sort of be able to enjoy. And I tried to do that as much as I could. You know, even though I was pretty exhausted and all that sort of stuff, I was doing, you know, 10, 15-minute little cat naps here and there when I could, mostly during the day. And then at night I'd be up, but luckily the stars were out. It was warm. The moon was out as well. Mm. And... So, Do you listen to anything, or are you just out there paying attention? Oh, yeah, I'm listening. Jamming tunes, okay. uh, you know, listening to podcasts. You know, I like to have the old Adventure Sports podcast downloaded. <laughs> hey, good plug. I like it. Um, What's, what music do you listen to out there? Oh, anything. I, I have such a random array of just everything from modern stuff to uh, old Calypso to Bob Marley to Grateful Dead to the Beatles to, you know, anything. Yeah, um, yeah. I have Dolly Parton, you know. Oh, I, yeah. You, Me too. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll crank Jolene at full volume. <laughs> I'm a happy guy. Um, but, yeah, so I, and I'm enjoying it. I've got plenty of food. All the supplies are there and everything. And yeah. and that's, you know, so I there's, guess. So there's that peace of mind. Yeah, yeah. And water, it, nothing was damaged with your what, desal nope, the, the systems. Two, the two big water tanks I still had, I think I got back and. My water lasted me another at least like almost ten days wow. in South Carolina. Yeah. Like I didn't put any more in. So, so why choose uh, South Carolina? Well, that that for me, you know, as as my brain sort of got more and more fragile from the sleep deprivation, <laughs> the stress. You know, I was I was oh, definitely man. sad that I'm on this working boat with all this food and all this water, and I have to go back in. Because I'm missing these things, and I've had this, and I want to be able to thoroughly check over the boat uh, as much as I can. Uh, I'm sleep deprived. It's been stressful, and South Carolina was a place that I've been to quite a few winters over the past few years, and I had friends there. That was the key. Uh, I wanted to return to a dock that I had, you know, where people know my name, and I'm friends with them, and and. You know, I was able to pull in and there's a group of maybe, you know, five or seven people 
that I've known for years. And to have that for me was like a goal and a, a want and a need. I could have pulled off in, in St. Augustine or Jacksonville and gotten off the water maybe two or three days earlier. Uh, but for me, the weather sort of it, it made it so I could get up there. And it was just like, I want to pull back in where there's friends that will have beer and pizza waiting and good, good company and smiling faces and hugs and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I always miss that stuff when I'm out at sea, for sure. Um, but I think when you have sort of a bit of a traumatic experience, that's when, you know, you really do start reevaluating how important relationships are and friendships and things like that. And, uh, yeah, at, at that point for me, I was just like, yeah, I want to go back to where my friends are. I need them. I need them bad. And, and I was and really there. glad. Yeah. And they were there. Yeah. I mean, and it was great. It was, I was such a wreck by the time I got in the last I think 48 hours, I might've gotten one hour of sleep because the traffic became insane outside of Savannah. And then you pass through this fleet of all these ships, Savannah, and then it gets to be morning. And then I've got a motor like for five hours up the river just to get to the marina. And that's the intercoastal, the engines all wonky. It seems like I'm almost out of fuel. I'm having to like manually pump the thing every once in a while. And yeah, I was just, I was just an absolute wreck. So they put me in the easiest spot to dock. Um, and like, I, I essentially got there, walked around a little bit and then just collapsed. Shame. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Just unbelievable. I bet you slept for days. Uh, I definitely, you know, I, you think I would have, um, I think I took about a two hour nap, <laughs> woke up totally confused. Not even like what's going on up on deck. And then I realized I'm here and there's a boat next to me and like, Oh, I did make it. <laughs> um, and then I was up for a little while trying to organize, uh, because it, it's when you do get used to that. And that's part of what we we're talking about earlier. You get in that mode where you get in that sleep pattern and your body will just get used to it where you get two hours of sleep. That's like, oof. all right, we're ready to jam now. Um, And so, you know, I was up kind of late that night and cleaning stuff and had some friends over and everything. And then, then was able to get a decent night's sleep, but the world was like a trampoline or a sponge for two days. I could barely walk. I, I actually felt a little bit physically ill um when i got into my buddy's car to go to the gas station just down the street like i kind of had to like close my eyes a little bit because everything was it's just way too fast and i think it was a mix between just typical land sickness and uh the exhaustion and stress of the last you know month and it all sort of culminated in in i think my body was probably just telling me like go to bed like go (laughs) stop walking around yeah yeah you got nothing don't it's not important yeah i had to i did have to wait three days uh before i could take a shower because oh oh, the water no not the water the when you get in that capsule of you know a little shower stall and there's no horizon there's no windows that's where the land sickness affects you the most and it's actually pretty common for people like fall down in the shower Wow. Um, if they've been out of sea for a while. So I, I just kept sort of putting that off. 
And finally, I remember yeah. the day you need I did an outdoor it. Outdoor shower. I know, right? Well, I, I thought about just going and dumping, you know, some water on me in the cockpit. But I, when I did finally get it, I remember like announcing to everybody, I, was like, <laughs> I took a shower. <laughs> hey, guys. It didn't fall yeah. down. <laughs> Dude, the things yeah. you don't know, that's so nuts. So, what a, I mean, a, a, a surprise to be home for Christmas. That was, yeah, I mean, I, I, that was really cool to be able to sort of slide in with time to be able to get down here and, and see my parents and my brothers and my sister. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad there was a, a little bit of time because, you know, for, for that first week that I was back, even just calling and talking to people, uh, you know, I kept sort of getting on the edge of like breaking down. Uh, when I would describe some of the stuff and when I'd watch some of the videos and things like that. And uh, so it was definitely a bit of an emotional, uh, traumatic experience, I guess. Uh, Did that I, surprise you? Yeah, because, yeah. I, you know, I've I've been through a lot out there. And the one difference with this trip and, you know, being in the Southern Ocean is that the Southern Ocean, there's no rescue. I was, you know within a few hundred miles or 400 miles of land the whole time on this one and you know that's rescuable it's the north atlantic there's a lot of shipping uh had i gotten in that life raft pretty much like i don't know 99 percent probability that i'd probably make it southern ocean there's not one single second i think that i would survive in a life raft down there especially doing it alone not in some sort of race with other competitors. I mean, I only saw four boats in four and a half months down there. And those were like right next to New Zealand, Cape Horn and Good Hope. You know, the rest of those oceans are just wide open and cold and scary and miserable. So I, I, you know, I, yeah, it was just strange. I don't know. I don't know why. And I, I think I'm forgetting what the question was. <laughs> That was it. It'd be being home for Christmas. Oh, oh, right, right. Um, yeah, I don't know why it was. It you know, was being, just being so a, emotional. Yeah, yeah it's. Um, it was just sort of strange. Um, and I'm just. I I think, more than anything, it, it gave me a long time to really just sort of think, just about, what's important in life and your perspective on things and, um, uh, just. Just everything. I, I think when you have an experience like that where you think maybe, hey, this might be it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think you, you're never going to be the same. And I don't think I'm the same hmm. anymore. This was, I know this was just a month ago. Yeah. You know, not, yeah. I mean, this was so recent yeah. that it might be hard to capture it all with how you're feeling right now. But how do you think it will change you long term? Uh, You know, I don't, as far as the sailing goes, I don't know yet. Um, there's part of me that wants to fix that boat and head right back out there just to make sure, you know, I don't lose that confidence. Um, but then there's part of me that's like, well, you know, maybe we'll wait until the winter closes down and I'll just worm my way up the intercoastal back to Maine this year. Um, I don't, I don't know. On that one, we're just going to have to sort of see. I'm hoping that I don't lose my sort of confidence for offshore solo sailing. Um, mentally, as far as just living my life, I think, um, I think it just is, is a bit more reinforcement for, for me to make sure that 
doing what I want to be doing, not putting up with too much BS, um, making sure that I cherish every moment that I've got with, you know, friends, family, um, you know, it's, it's so amazing how you can get caught up in all these things that really don't matter. And then all of a sudden you can get in a situation where everything really matters. And then you sort of like, you look back and be like, I got mad because that guy took my parking space. (laughs) Boy, you know, could have died out here. Yeah. But I was really mad about that parking space. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's hard. Uh, But it's one of those things too, because I I like sharing my experiences so much. um, It's hard for me because I'll see people getting worked up. You know, it's the holidays, so people are already a little worked up um, over the littlest things. And I'm sitting there like, seriously, seriously? <laughs> Let me tell you're, you. You're you're mad about that? The, the package is a day late? And it's like, but I can't sit there and I can't judge anybody and be like, hey, come on. You don't know what you're, you know. So I have to figure out a way to sort of relate it to people a little bit or or whatnot but i you know the thought rolls in my head and be like dude you need to go have a life-threatening experience yeah. <laughs> hey <laughs> that's what we're changer. it's a game changer yeah, yeah. Right? It, it's a game they, that's what we talk about on this show is it's it's perspective change sometimes it comes at you you know it's it's involuntary yeah a cancer diagnosis right right partner spouse friend dies out of nowhere it just it's forced on you and sometimes it is you set out to sail to the Southern ocean and it, it does not go to plan yeah. in a relatively short amount of time. Like that's in a place that you, I would say pretty familiar with where you grew up. I mean, yeah. of all the places you've been in this, the oceans you've sailed, it's crazy to me that this, this happened right almost right like out of your front door yeah. in a lot of ways in a place that's often considered pretty calm or manageable and rescuable during, I don't know. Like July. During July. July is <laughs> but... the calmest month in the North Atlantic. I mean, it, that that is, you know, the, the whole Gulf Stream and the East Coast in the fall. I mean, they up in Maine, November is no joke out there. October is no joke out there. I mean, the perfect storm, that all happened in October. Um, those systems, yeah, it's, it's it can be a very dangerous place. You have to use all the caution you can and most updated weather and all that and you know uh don't get too overconfident yeah no kidding that's what i would tell people. yeah and, and and i really like your comment about putting yourself back out there to not lose confidence because i think a lot of times yeah i mean from just traditional sports you know like or or something you love to do um it was really dangerous put things into perspective we hear it a lot on this show with people saying you know doing a relatively maybe like whitewater kayaking mm-hmm. like i almost drowned never did it again i have kids i had I, but yeah. but it i feel like there's a way to continue growing or to try it in a different way that isn't so dangerous to where you don't it's just it's past now i i, I don't know you know what what do you think I, I've had to think about that a lot. You know, there's that old saying of, you know, you just got to get back up on the horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, I was pretty lucky that 
you can't actually fall completely off the horse when you're ocean sailing because you know then you're in the water <laughs> right. so and, and having to go through two more kind of ugly weather systems after all this happened yeah um did allow me to sort of know that yes we we can make it through these things um mm -hmm. i i know we can and i know sparrow's a good boat and but do you want to? <laughs> well, that, yeah, therein lies the question. And, and I do. I mean, like I said, those last few days, as exhausted as I was, when, when the world calmed back down to sort of a more normal uh, ocean sort of landscape, it's stunningly pretty. It's yeah. the place I love to be. Yeah. Um, I, I, I fear the day where I'm no longer able to go and do that stuff. Yeah. Because it'll it'll be a sad day for me, and and maybe that's part of the reason I keep going out there is I want to experience it as much as I can while I still can. That brain wave you're talking about is yeah, it's hard to recreate. Very hard, I, you know. And I don't, I've never, I've never been able to recreate it anywhere else but on the ocean by myself for extended periods of time. And you know, the AT and and camping and hiking do get close, but. It's a whole different level out there. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Wow. So what what do you know about what's next? Is it getting Mighty Sparrow just yeah. cleaned up? Right now. Bandaged up? It's Yeah, it's all about replacement parts and getting all that. You know, I obviously have um, my own podcast and such, um, my own sort of platform. Sailing into oblivion. All across the board from YouTube to yep. TikTok and everything. And I've been getting quite a bit of support from sort of all the followers and, and subscribers and stuff. Not only just, you know, kind notes and emails, but um, through like Patreon and everything. And then the Westsail family. Um, I reached out to a couple people and I guess they, you know, as a whole, the Westsail family, we're... We're a little bit oddball when it yeah, comes yeah. to uh, how passionate we are about our boats. There's, you know, 800 of them or something out there. and um, that, that few. Well, they only made probably 1,200 total. I didn't but again, that. these these boats are like 50 years old. Most yeah. boats hit 50, and it's like to the heap. Yeah. But these, you know, people sort of treat them like uh, classic cars in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were following the trip and they were plotting and planning before I was even back of how, how to get the right pieces back together for like the gallows and the arch and everything. Wow. Um, and do so hopefully, you know, um, voluntarily and just sort of send them out. And yeah, uh, it just, the, the amount of support that I, I received when I got back is just mind blowing. And, uh, yeah, I, I hoping to be all piecer back together, uh, over the winter Cause I would think I'll, I'll end up going to Maine again. Um, but you know, the world's kind of crazy. You never know what's going to happen or yeah. what life's going to throw you new opportunities, things like that. But I'm at this point, just try and put her back together and share out all the content from this trip. Um, and just sort of go from there. That's gotta be a fun part of it. Sharing the story. Oh yeah. 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 Just... I'm, I'm very confident that this, uh, because it's sort of a disaster story with a happy ending, um, that I can turn it into an actual, you know, physical in-person presentation. Oh yeah. Um, plus with all the footage and stuff, but these are film. Learn oh, enough, man. learn enough uh, life lessons in a trip like this that uh, you know you can share those out on sort of a corporate level. Uh, I was able to do a little bit of that with the trip around the world just before yeah. COVID and. Uh, I would love to be able to get back into that sort of stuff. I, I great storyteller. 
Holy love cow. being on Speaker. the stage. Uh, I love getting animated. Yeah. I mean, it's... For someone that probably doesn't talk for months on end, <laughs> you're a good talker. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I get the best of both worlds there. <laughs> Unless and... you're just out on the boat alone, just like in theater almost to yourself are yeah, you pretty right. animated out there and uh, vocal i'm pretty vocal if if yeah. i make it to noon and i haven't said anything typically i'll i'll sort of look over and be like pretty quiet today huh <laughs> out loud you know i i've always said though it would have been far stranger to not say a word for nine months than yeah. to talk to myself a little bit every day yeah absolutely i totally agree yeah man this is something else uh you know i know the lore and the legend of jerome Rand has only increased with this adventure <laughs> yeah. um from the west sale community to the tiktok community you know i know you're big on there um youtube all that man what a what an adventure and it's uh dude pleasure to have you on third time now i know I, this is I, it's always this is been a tradition an honor. yeah i i and I, I just it's great i i love sitting down and talking with you mason you, you do an incredible job with this podcast oh and man it's it's really is an honor to to be on the show not once but but three times so. yeah I, I mean what better way to i mean i'm sitting here listening to the most incredible stories <laughs> to, it's I, my i gotta pleasure. cook up another adventure just <laughs> yeah. so i can come back <laughs> yeah please come back yeah. come back and share but well drone thanks so much i'll plug everything you know all your all your things all the awesome the book and, and podcast and um all sailing into oblivion across the board across the there. board yeah. it's everywhere yeah. sweet first of all Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.